No. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Continuing on Romans 15, chapter 15. We're going to pick up at verse 8. We'll end up reading the whole chapter like we normally do. So just to get it in context of what's been talked about, um, go ahead and open us up in prayer. Abba, thank you, Lord, that we can come before you. You delight in your children coming before you and seeking you and your word. And Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the guidance, the leading, the promise of of him being our teacher, guiding us in all truth and understanding, reminding us of the words that Jesus has, has said. And Jesus, you come in the volume of the book. Everything is about you. You are the word. You are this Bible that we are reading. You are the one who has given the inspiration to the men to write this. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful harmony that you have done in this book where you've allowed their personality to shine through in it. It wasn't you just taking over them and and using them as a vessel, but that there is a beautiful harmony there uh, in the way that it is written. So we thank you, God. I pray that you would enlighten our minds, that you would open our hearts, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and teaching us. Lord, I pray that we would have uh, the connections in Scripture, that we'd be able to put the pieces together as you lead us, so that we would have greater understanding of your word, and through that we would ultimately understand your heart, who you are, and that that would draw us closer to you in just a profound, amazing way that we are presenting ourselves, sitting at your feet, wanting to hear from you, Lord. I pray that this would be a blessed time of fellowship, that there would be learning, God, and that your voice would be heard. We love you, we thank you, we honor you, and we glorify your name. And we say, be the guest of honor here, Holy Spirit, teach us. We ask this all in your name. Anybody up for reading? We'll pick up, we'll just read the whole chapter. Anybody who's willing to read in part, or if they want to read the whole thing, be appreciated. And then we'll pick up uh, in verse 8. Romans 15. Anyone? No one? I don't um, can I read, please? Yeah. Oh, no, you go oh, ahead. You go ahead, sis. Oh, sorry. Uh, Romans yeah. 15, right? Yep, Romans 15. Go ahead. If you're willing to read Romans the whole 15. chapter, go ahead. I'm going to go to like... I'm going to go to seven. Seven? Okay. We, okay, we your song ought to be ought to bear with the feelings of of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insult of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And That's I'll one to seven. Yeah. Uh, thank you. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, 
Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around, as far as uh, Elacris, oh yeah, I can see it's going to be one of those nights, Elacrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And in this way, I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ was already known by name, so that I would not build on another person's foundation. But just as it is written, they who have not been told about him will see, and they who have not heard will understand. For this reason, I have often prevented... often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonian Asaya uh, Uh, have been pleased to make contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to do them a service also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on its fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain." I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and relax in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So picking up, I'm actually going to jump into seven real quick because on here it's showing it. It's a the beginning of a thought. So, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us for glory of God. Verse eight, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Uh, two, or one, one important thing here to understand the use of circumcision 
is referring to Jews, re referring to uh, Judaism, those who've accepted Messiah, um, but it's not limited to that. Uh, when there's a couple different times where Paul uses this term circumcision, uh, let's see. Let me go to a couple different times. Um, coming in by all the Jewish believers. So here is an example in Acts 10.45, where at least in the NAS, NASB, the same word for circumcision is translated as the Jewish believers, um, in particular Jewish. And there's a footnote here that says, from the circumcision, our believers from the circumcision. Uh, again, in Acts 11.2, the Jewish believers. Then, uh, again... So there's a, def a couple different different uh, verses that show you the exchange, how Paul uses this phrase circumcision to refer to those Jewish believers um, who've obviously, because of Torah practices, are needing to be circumcised to be able to participate in that. And so you have believers that are coming out believing in Messiah and Yeshua as the Messiah but still have circumcision. Any insight, other insights or connections anybody's thinking of in this? It would be one in the same. Circumcised believers would be Jewish because circumcision was necessary to be able to partake in the things of Torah. It was what happened, for instance, when the um, when they're crossing over Jordan, coming into the Promised Land, that there was this mass amount of circumcision that was needing to be done uh, before they come in there, because God had killed off an older generation because of disbelief, and so now the the uh, sons and the servants that were going to be entering into the Promised Land had to go through circumcision. There was a preparation that happened. Uh, three days preparation before they actually crossed over packing up camp. Yep. Any other thoughts, connections that you guys are seeing in this? Things that are coming to mind? So for I say that Christ has become a servant. Let's see that word there, servant. Diakonos. Hmm. Minister, servant, and also deacon. Understanding that's interesting because deacon as a position within the church body, the organization, if you will, of, of members where you have the elders, um, you have the pa also the pastors, uh, interchanging there. Uh, then there's also the deacons. The deacons are the servants, and usually the unseen servants, and they're the office that says both male and female can be a deacon, where the other ones say that it is to be a husband of one wife. But deacon is described when 
the explanation of it is given in, is it Timothy? The overseers and deacons in Philippians 1.1. Faithful servants. So there's some different words here. A doulos would be a bond servant, and you would see that as servant. And then uh, other servant would be a, this other Greek word. Deacons, so 1 Timothy 3.8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not insincere, not prone to drink much wine, not greedy for money. Um, then a little bit later, it says, and two, four verses later. The main thing about all of this is the relatability, that because he is familiar with anything that he would ever ask of any of us, that any great managers, supervisor, that anything tangible that we would have in this world, we have the greatest respect for somebody that we know that has walked the same shoes that we are walking in, done the same things that we've done, persevered through the same things. So being that servant shows relatability in Christ as it is the least of these that become the greatest, that we too inspire not to worry about what we receive in greatness because that is basically... the that we should only be happy that our names are written in the book of life, but that we want to serve because there is fruit in the servitude. There is fruit in helping others, seeing somebody get it, seeing somebody realize that it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. This too shall pass. And seeing somebody's life thrive through that, that is the true joy. This also, both the connection with Romans 15, 8 and verse 9 um, is also for their confirmation where it is spoken of elsewhere about us being made united as one people in him, one flock. He is the, the tying together. We saw that earlier in Romans uh, 11. I was talking about that. For, do you remember where it was we found that uh, passage? Was that Ephesians? Ephesians, or was that the Corinthians passage? I can't remember yesterday. Oh, that would have been First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah, yeah, fifteen or eighteen. <laughs> In Galatians 3, 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, Colossians echoes something similar. In this case, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave, free, but all is but Christ is all and in all. 
So this is just definitely some further evidence of uniting together as one people. And so he presents it first, where I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers uh, through Torah, through Abraham, uh, even as far back as what he says um, about the seed issuing forth from the woman in Genesis. This is the promise given time and time again and repeated. And uh, so then I don't think there's a hand up. So we can jump into verse 9 as well, um, where he's continuing the thought, where he's saying, and for Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. We're going to see in his next several verses here that he's referring time and time again to some Old Testament passages that confirming the plan was to bring the Gentiles in, to unite us as one people in Christ. Through the fulfillment of the prophecies that were spoken of by him. Uh, we are in Romans 15. We started in verse 8. For those who are joining us. Keep making some pretty good headway in the past few weeks, for sure. Any other thoughts on this? Anybody's making any other connections? Digging into that scripture. This is probably some of the bigger areas um, in New Testament where the plan of God through Christ is being unfolded. We've been getting a lot of this since, probably really since building in, in verse 9. There's been some other areas, but he definitely confirms this in other areas, as I just shared with uh, Galatians, Colossians, um, Ephesians. <laughs> Pretty much it's an ongoing theme, and it seems like there's a lot of echoing of things that he said in a similar way, but then there's also a new way that he's explaining, or a different way of explaining it to, to give uh, a better understanding to it. But the whole plan from the get-go has been that through this one promise one who is God himself God doing the work himself that we are incapable of doing to unite us all together through a faith that he gives it's really interesting when we have people who are believers that are saying no 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 there's still two separate plans there's still a different plan for Israel there's we're the church. Um, then you get the just blatant, uh, dare I say, heresy of, oh, no, no, the church replaces Israel. He's done with Israel. And that's never the case. And that goes all the way back to uh, the covenant he made with Abraham. And God is the one who walked out that covenant alone, making it so he is the only one capable of breaking that covenant. That Abraham is a recipient of it because he did not walk the pattern. He is not capable of breaking that covenant. It's a one-sided covenant. Uh, so because of the, our ability to be able to mess things up. 
So God wanted to ensure that there was no possibility of us being able to mess up what he planned on doing eventually of uniting us all together. It's only God that would be able to completely divorce and walk away and break covenant, but he's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can get my other program up that would help too with some references. Any other thoughts that anybody's making connections? Quiet group tonight. Step right up and share your heart. Even if you might think it's dumb, share it. Your mic is very difficult to understand. Sorry. Have you seen the chat? Um, yeah, some of the scriptures that you're posting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a reminder then too, yeah, with um, the fact that God promised to send the the Messiah to Israel. That Israel is his unique people through the promise or the covenant that he made with Abraham. Uh, that he would have his unique people, but well, ultimately that would be Moses when he presented that marriage covenant where God said you'd be my unique people. But he also told Abraham that he would be the father to many nations, not just Israel, but Israel is the uniqueness. And they were the ones that given the honor to have God revealed to them. And then for the Messiah, the promised one to come, God himself would come through their line. And then their job would be to take him to the nations in order to bring in as many people as possible. It was uh, that was always the intention. Unfortunately, we have a lot of within Orthodox Judaism some beliefs, and even during Jesus's time, there was a school of the two major houses. There was one house that said, "Now Gentiles aren't allowed in. This is only for us." An arrogance and greed on their part. It's silly because I mean, you look throughout the Bible. How many times did like? The Lord allowed the union of a Gentile woman to be unified with an Israelite man, like Ruth and Boaz, for example. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and sort of like Jesus brings both Jew and Gentile together, right? By his blood into one body. Can you ignore that? That archetype that's throughout the word? Obviously, people can. <laughs> Unfortunately. Would miss the deeper beauty of it. It would just oftentimes see it as something surface and or misrepresent, misunderstand things. All right, well, no other thoughts. So 
Uh, again, verse 9, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing your praises. Uh, that one, references on that one, is Psalm 1849, it looks like. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. <laughs> it's interesting that there's times where he's quoting things and there's a little bit of variance in it from what it's taken from. And I don't think that's a mistranslation or anything because oftentimes there's a little bit more that's given to it. Yeah. Uh, Cause that alludes to the dimensions of it, you mm -hmm. know, not just one thing, but many things. Yeah. Many layers like a, a wedding cake. And if you haven't picked up on this yet, book of Psalms is a prophetic book. There's a lot of prophecy in Psalms. A whole lot. A lot more than people may think. So verse 10, again, so he's going to give a bunch of witnesses here to the statement that he's made, uh, starting in verse 7. Um, so in verse, verse 10, and again he says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. That one's in reference to Deuteronomy 32:43. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will return vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Rejoicing in the blessings of, in the particular, salvation. I'm pointing to that. I'm going to kind of go through these quickly because they're all quotes from... Uh, passages in Old Testament, but if there's thoughts that come up or other connections that you're making, please feel free to make those. And then in verse 11, um, which is Psalm 117.1, Praise the Lord, all nations, sing his praises, all peoples. And so he says, praise all you Gentiles, nations and Gentiles synonymous, and let all the people praise him. Also, by the way, if you don't know this too, uh, the nations are signified by the number 70. So you have the 70 nations, Gentile nations, and then Israel. And so when you see 70, there's a significance to that. It should make you think of the nations. Think of the 70, some, in one of the gospel accounts, 72 that were sent out. Um, but then the other ones say that 70 were sent out by twos in order to uh, preach the gospel, prepare the way for Jesus. And they were, at that point, he's telling them to go into the Gentile areas as well. Tyre, Sidon, or Tyre and Sidon, um, Caesarea Philippi, all these areas within um, that surrounding area. Basically, east of the Jordan River and uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, also, the Dead Sea was considered Gentile territories. There you have the Decapolis, which is that area between uh, Sea of Galilee to the north, where a lot of the ministry was done, all the way down along the Jordan to the um, just north of the Dead Sea. And it's called the Decapolis because of the 10 cities, major towns and cities that made up that area. Uh, but that was Gentile areas. And that's... Uh, the feeding of the 4,000 was down at the southern end of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, you also hear it called, um, 
kind of on the eastern side of that, if you ever look at a map of it. And that's where the feeding of the 4,000 happened, if I'm not mistaken. Might have been Beth. I don't think it was Beth, uh, Bethsaida. I think that was the 5,000. But it was primarily Gentiles who were fed then, whereas the feeding of the 5,000 was primarily Jews. That happened. There's significance in the numbers that are given there 12 baskets, large baskets of fish and bread that were left over from the feeding of the 4,000. Significance towards the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples who were tasked with going out and preaching the gospel to the nations. Verse 12, again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. And there's a couple different uh, pointings to there. If you read uh, Isaiah 11, where it speaks about a shoot coming forth from the stump of Jesse, and then later in that you get into verse 2, you get into the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit that would be upon him. Then also... So like Isaiah 11.1, 1, um, oh, my computer program going bye-bye. There we go. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Then on that day, the nations will restore to the root of Jesse, or resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal flag for the peoples. And his resting place will be glorious. Yep. No, no other connections here. That Deuteronomy thirty-two forty-three: Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood. So yeah, that's the um, verse ten. What's that one? It's there. It's all there in the Old Testament. Just realizing that when it speaks of nations, that is synonymous for Gentiles. Goyim would be the Hebrew word there, often used. There's a parallel of when the woman came for her to ask for her daughter to be healed. But Jesus was saying, well, don't you know that I'm here for the, uh, the sons of God? And that she alludes to the Gentiles that even the crumbs fall to the floor. And so we have so many parallels like that where Jesus is constantly forluding to go into the Gentile nations when he went to the man who was stricken with legion, that that was Gentile nation. Um, I believe there are some leopards as well. I mean, time and time again, he just continually keeps building on onto what he's doing. But first he did what he said he was going to do. He came that God's people would first have the choice to accept him. Some did. But in whole, they didn't. In the end, they did crucify him, choosing a different Christ. 
And so that allowed him to easily go out to the Gentile nation. So the first time he sends the 12 out just for the Jews, and then the second time it's the 72, 70, if you include the two that stayed behind in the camp to prophesy. And so that also went from the Jews to Samaria because there was you know, a little bit of duality going on there and to the Gentile nations that the gospel would be preached to the, all four corners. So that for alluding to a prophetic build that everywhere the gospel will be preached before the coming of the Lord, which continually keeps echoing through time and how much more right now that the gospel is being preached all over the world thanks to the internet in itself. As much as it easily becomes an entanglement for some people, it still allows it to be a facilitating factor as to why the gospel is preached all over. Yeah, put up the the passage you were referring to. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the region of Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon, both Gentile cities. And a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Canaanites were the people that God specifically told the Israelites, do not intermix with them because of their false gods. So that carries a lot of weight and understanding that they're this big group of people that were like persona non grata. Not, they were forbidden from mixing with them. Uh, Esau. I believe it was Esau that took a Canaanite wife and was not supposed to. Uh, I believe Solomon of his many wives, concubines also. I believe one of the leopards was a Canaanite as well. That Jesus going to him as the guy was saying, stay away from me, unclean, unclean. That for him to go up and actually touch him and heal him was him breaking barriers of all these things. There are so many symbolisms that Jesus did with individuals from these particular eras saying that no longer do we hold these old standards, but we are accepting everybody now. Mm -hmm. Love your neighbor. Yeah, and then this theme. So what you're going to see, especially it's illustrated more so in Matthew, Book of Matthew or Gospel of Matthew is intended for a Jewish audience to be able to reach them with understanding. And so here you have Matthew 15, where what three chapters before you had the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit by the religious, the Jewish religious leaders, not only denying the power of God, but adding insult to injury and saying that not only are you not um, doing this by the Spirit, but you're actually, in fact, doing it by the devil, God's enemy. And that's unbelief in the working and the power of the Spirit um, is the ultimate, what it, what it is. It's basically the rejection of salvation in the bigger picture because it is the Spirit. It is the one who leads us to understanding us. Second um, uh, Corinthians 12.3, I believe it is. It's first, no, for, excuse me, First Corinthians 12.3 tells us that it is by the Holy Spirit that somebody is able to say Jesus is Lord. We see... Peter doing this in 
Matthew 16, so one one chapter over, where who the, Jesus asked two questions. Who do the people say that I am? Some say you're this, some say you're that. But then he asked specifically, Peter, who do you say I am? And that's when he tells him, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And blessed are you, Simon Peter, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And how the Father in heaven revealed that to him is through the Holy Spirit. As, again, it says that it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to say that Jesus is Lord. Um, so what he's doing after that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the rejection, ultimately, by the, the Jewish leaders who are the shepherds of Israel that were prophesied that would fail, and there's a significance to Jesus being called the Good Shepherd. He is a shepherd, just like they were seen as a shepherd. He is a rabbi, just as they were seen as a rabbi. But the difference is, is that uh, he is the son versus they were the hired shepherds or hired servants. Moses is also shown to be a servant, not a son. So the uniqueness and the the and the identity of Jesus being more than just a servant. Though he adopted the servant heart and doing not his will, but his father's will in place of it. So on the heels of that Matthew 12 uh, incident, you see him going to start sending the disciples out ahead of him to prepare the way into the Gentile territories. And you're also going to see him interacting with the Gentiles a lot more. So this story here is a Gentile woman. Canaanite woman, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. That's a Jewish title. Um, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he did not answer her with even a word. And his disciples came up and urged him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is true. He was sent to them first and foremost. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Yet he answered and said, It is not good to take the children, children of Israel, bread and throw it to the dogs. That was a euphemism for Gentiles. Uh, in particular, especially um, for uh, um, Samaritans. Obviously, this woman's not a Samaritan, but... Uh, the Jewish mindset would be to call Gentiles dogs as well, see them as unclean. Some people say, well, Jesus is calling her a dog. You know, no, he's not. Yeah, I, I see it. Um, no, that's not the case. Just reminding her of kind of the mindset, but he's testing her faith. And so, yet yeah, he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but please help. For even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their masters. Then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done. This is another case where a Gentile is, is showing up. Jews, Jewish believers. How many times did he point to Gentiles and say, if only my own people had this faith? He just he marvels at the, the urgency and the faith that she walks in. And that's what he was doing. That whole exchange there was to draw that faith out, to use it as an example, to show the greatness of those who it wasn't even initially uh, originally attended, intended for, and that they are still urging or, or reaching out to him. And that faith moves him every time. 
Go ahead, Jack. Sorry for the delay there. So, what part of Romans are you talking about here? I'm getting kind of confused. Are you talking about the part where the Gentiles get accepted into uh, Israel, part of Israel, or how the yeah? It was a long, meandering journey to highlight how the plan was always first to bring the message of Messiah to the Jews, and then from there, for the the for Israel to take Messiah to the nations. Some I people want, want to make sure. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm talking along where y'all are talking about yeah. before yeah. I start spilling my. <laughs> yeah. So in context <laughs> of Romans 15, it's talking about how the Gentiles are able to rejoice because salvation through the Messiah is being brought to them as well. Yes. Uh, uh, and on that note, I'm going to take y'all, I'm going to take y'all back. Back all the way to the beginning. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God, I'm just kidding. I kid. But I am going to take you out of the beginning in Genesis. Chapter 12, as a matter of fact. A little bit before that, Noah, who y'all heard of in the ark, had three sons. Shem, Japheth, and I forget the other one's name. Ham. Ham, yes, Ham. Yes, the unkosher yeah. son. Yes, and Shem had a son named Abraham. Abraham was called by the Lord himself and promised that he would make him a great nation. And here's what it says. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So he's going to take them from the land he's from and show them a whole different land. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was a Gentile. Abraham was not a Jew. The Jews did not become to existence until Jacob. Jacob became Israel. The whole plan of the Lord was always always for everyone to be accepted, for everyone to join into his kingdom. He chose the Jews because they had the law. They were given the law to them. They were the ones that were going to progress with the law and bring forth that knowledge to the rest of the world, but it never happened. Instead, their greed, their everything that was wrong about them. If you read through Genesis, you'll find that mainly was greed, envy, hatred, a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot of horrible stuff. 
But God's plan was always for everyone to be in his kingdom. For the Jews and the Gentiles to come together as one. As far as I see it from the beginning of time. And it says it throughout the Bible. It's just that the Jews were his chosen people. That's what it was. But it's it's for everyone. And my family's over here calling me, so I got to go real fast. But sorry to leave y'all like that. Leaving us hanging. No, I'm not leaving you. I'm just going to mute because I want to see what they're calling me for. We definitely meandered off course, but I think it's important really set the foundation understanding of how the plan is, that we are part of the plan, that we were always intended to be part of the plan. It's important to understand that we are now one people through faith in him. And that faith makes us more, according to scripture, more sons and daughters or children of Abraham than blood relation. It carries a lot more weight in God's eyes. Abraham believed God, synonymous with faith, believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. So we're brought together through faith, which God provides. We'll always come back to the provision of God, not leaving any room for us to say, well, I had a hand in it. I helped. I did this. Nope. It was all the only thing you finger quote did was receive what God had to offer. You received the faith. You utilized the faith. So we are one people. All right. Thank you for joining us on that scenic tour. So we're picking up. I kind of blew through the the various scriptures there that are the witnesses to what he was saying in uh, verse 8, verse 9 in particular pointing to the Gentiles, the promises to the Gentiles to be brought in. Always the plan. So picking up in verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Available to all those who will come in by faith. Peace in believing so that you will abound. Fill you with all joy and peace. Both joy and peace are fruit of the Spirit, which the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into a believer. He brings the fruit of the Spirit. He brings the character and attribute. We do. We receive those amongst the other things through believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that making anybody think of anything? Any connections?
It does. Well, I experienced that today. If uh, I don't know if you're allowed to talk in this channel or not. Oh, yeah. If you got something to share, go ahead. We don't have any oh. hands up right now. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. I'll give you a testimony here, and i try to make it quick because I don't think you're on a time limit, right? I mean, you only can do so much. I'll take it. So, all right. I'll oh, just yeah, try to make it quick. Okay. Well, anyways, this for about two months I've been battling with this fear. I mean, sometimes it, it has the best of me, and sometimes I keep thinking, no, this is not the spirit of God. But anyways, uh, that's one of the reasons I jumped in here, because I was going to give a testimony, and I was going to get ready for bed. But anyway, so this has been a battle for me, along with other stuff. But so when I just felt the urge, and you know, it's, it's uh, amazing how the Holy Spirit works. He didn't directly say, but you, I kind of say they use the word nudge. So I said to myself at least two, three different times, Holy Spirit, fill me up with your spirit. So, and I just kept saying, I got to start to feel a little bit better this morning. And just, and just kept saying, keep asking, keep inviting. And I just kept on, kept on. And the whole entire time, I was listening to gospel music in my work truck. So I made the sun heads for Mercedes Benz, making delivery there. And I said, uh, it seemed like it's kept telling me, keep asking don't quit so i said all right i want to really get into this right after i make this delivery so i made delivery got back in my truck so and it's just i just kept asking and uh you know when you if anybody lives up north you know when you make a snowball you know it starts running you let it roll down and just get bigger and bigger well that's what it they intending feel like to start to feel like and uh, so I just kept on listening to the gospel music, and I just kept inviting. All of a sudden, it starts getting bigger, and it starts, and I start to feel the goosebumps. And it just kept growing and growing, and all of a sudden, man, it's like indicating, well, there's more, and it just more. I kept feeling it's like taking a a pitcher of water and filling a glass of it. And it's really starting to feel more and more. And it just kept saying, oh, there's more. You ain't yet seen nothing. And then all of a sudden, it's just, how can I, I express this? Yeah, I think it was in the New Testament. I think it was John or Paul who talked about the house was filled up with the Holy Spirit when Jesus came visit them, his disciples. I think that was in the description, right? But all of a sudden, I can feel it through my whole body and the truck that I was in. And it's just, then tears start coming down to my eyes. And I couldn't control it. I, I said, it just, and it's not tears of sadness. It was tears of joy. And it kept saying, it's, it's like he said again, it's like, oh man, you finna get a whooping right here. You finna really feel it. And just more on top of more. It was so overwhelming. I couldn't. The whole time I was driving, I had control, but it, at the same time, it had control. And 
there's no drug that's alcohol or a drug that you smoke or any drug that you take or a prescription drug or any kind of medication that, you know, that gives you a feeling like depression or anything. There's nothing that can compare to what I have felt in that truck today this morning. And I was so overwhelmed with it. It's, I can't I can't describe it because the only way the best description was what the Bible described. It feels like you're drunk, but you're not drunk. So I finally made it back to home base and Mike and one of the other drivers, he was 73 years old. And I got out. I wasn't staggering, but I was, I had so much strength at the same time. I wasn't staggering, but I felt light on air. And he looked at me. He said, uh, hey, what's wrong with you? He said, why are you crying? I said, I'm not crying, dude. I said, I'm filled with so much happiness. I can't control it. I said, as tears were still coming down from my face. And it, but like I wasn't crying, but I'm so happy, dude. I said, I never felt this before. And I said, I, I know I've been saved because the description of the Bible has been telling me I felt that wind. Didn't know where it came from. And I know I've been sealed with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, what Jesus done for me. I said, I to answer the fact, I said, but this is a whole different experience. I never experienced this before. And I told him, give me a hug. And I hugged that man so dang hard. I thought I was going to crush his chest. But it's just, I said, I told him, I said, I want to share it. And we both hugged and we hugged again because I asked him for it again. I said, give me another hug. And I said, man, I'm so happy. I said, I never felt this before. I said, this is a whole new level. And, uh, he just agreed. He said, "He said you ain't seen nothing." He said, "There'll be more days you'll see, you'll feel this." And I felt, and I'm 43 years old. People tell me all the time I don't look it. Look, I'm still in my 20s. And I said, "Man, I have straight right now of a 20 year, like I was back in my 20s." I said, "I had never felt this strong before." And so I dried my eyes up, and before I walk in the back door, because I was trying to keep my composure, but I was so filled up. <laughs> And uh, as I walked in, I started talking, describing the uh, the orders I delivered and stuff like that. And I was looking for another man called Mr. Burke. He's another believer, just like we are. And I had to go find him. So it took me about a good five minutes to find him. And I went and told him the same thing, hugged him twice. And he just said, he said, you ain't seen nothing yet, dude. He said, trust me, you will not. This won't be the last time. He said, there will be many others. Just like this. He said, trust me, just keep your eyes on Jesus. He said, he is a rewarder. He is very faithful. So I want to test that. I can't. This is my very time experience this. And I just had to tell somebody else besides people I know. I had to, anybody in this in this chat that has not experienced, I hope and have faith. I hope you get the same experience. I just, I can't, I just, I can't describe it. It's just. The Bible gives the only ways it gives the best description. That's all I got to say. So just in case you want to talk about something else. But I had to tell other people just, you know, uh, I think it was Jesus that testify. No, Bring the good, good news. Yeah, so that's all I got to say. No, nice. Praise God, brother. Those experiences like that, they're real. We don't chase after that, the feeling or whatnot, but it's beautiful when he brings those moments, those supernatural moments of meeting. For sure. Thank you for sharing. Appreciate it. Uh, good stuff. All right, we're going to pick back up in the Bible study here. 
Uh, so we're moving on the benediction that Paul gives at the end, uh, verse 13, to uh, closing out what he was just speaking about. But then in 14, he's going to be picking up, speaking about his ministry to the Gentiles, how he is set, sent to the Gentiles. Um, and there's actually something kind of interesting that's going to come up in this next part here. So verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you all uh, with all with all joy and peace and believing so that you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then so in 14, he's going to be speaking about his ministry, which isn't, this isn't the first time, but this is probably one of the most wordy parts of where he's expressing his ministry and being sent to the Gentiles specifically, but because of his background, because that he is a Pharisee, he is trained in Torah, he is a superior amongst his peers in knowledge of Torah, um, and he has a burden, as he said earlier in Romans, that he has a burden for his brethren, that when he would go into the cities, one of the first places that he would go would be to the local synagogue in these Gentile cities that where the Jews were dispersed um, already living in the area, and so they would oftentimes, with the exception, I believe it was Philippi, that did not have a synagogue, but that would be the first place he would go in order to try to get the rabbis there that were the teachers. Um, and if they would come into belief of Yeshua, then that would oftentimes be his base of operation while he was there ministering in the city. What better thing where he can go and teach from the Torah scrolls, because each of the synagogues would have their own set of Torah scrolls that he would be able to have access to. Those were not a cheap thing. Those were not some something anybody, just anybody had. So it would be a great place, a base of operation for resources to be able to teach from there, to be able to bring the Gentiles in who are willing to, to abstain in the, the Acts 15 um, Council of Jerusalem meeting and the four things that they were to be abstaining from and so they can come in and start learning Torah and he could be teaching the message that he had been given by the Lord while he was out in the desert for 14 years, desert of Arabia, learning the mysteries, the revelation of the church, of the bringing in the Gentiles. And so he's going to be covering that in this this portion here. So in verse 14, and concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also are able also to admonish one another. He's talking to Gentiles here. There would be some Jewish believers of the circumcision, so if you will, um, in this as well, but predominantly he is speaking to the Gentiles here. Um, so yeah, the, the one bit of commentary I have here in the rest of chapter 15, Paul states his reason for writing to the Romans and his great desire to visit them. Though he has never met the Roman Christians, he is confident that they will welcome his admonitions. This confidence is based on what he has heard of their goodness in addition, he is assured of their knowledge of Christian doctrine, and which qualifies them to admonish others. They're already starting to walk in the way. Yeah. 
Anybody have any connections or want to share something in connection to this? Yeah, go ahead, Paula. Reminds me, I need to check another one that I have and see if there's anything. Paula, Paula. Not hearing you, Paula, if you're trying to talk. Might need to bounce out and come back in. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had to get back out. Get in and get out. Um, yeah, I have some uh, commentary here on the top uh, speaking about fruit of the spirit, specifically joy. Uh, it says, a number of, of Hebrew and Greek words are used in the Bible to convey and conce the concept of joy. In fact, the word joy is found more than 150 times in the Bible. Joy comes from God as a result of faith and obedience. John 15, 10 and 11 and Romans 15, 13. The abundance of joy is in direct pr proportion to the intimacy and steadfastness of a believer's walk with the Lord. Sin in a believer, believer's life can rob her of joy. True joy is evident regardless of circumstances. The spirit-filled believer continues to rejoice even amidst troubles. Biblically, biblical joy is clearly different from earthly, temporal pleasures that are bound to circumstances. The purpose of joy is to provide blessing for a believer, and joy enables you to enjoy all that God has given, health, family, friends, opportunity, and salvation. As you experience true joy, your joy can then be shared with others. Romans 12, 15. Abundant joy is a fruit of the Spirit for those who walk in faith. Amen. Nice. Share it with y'all. Uh, this other translation that I have too. Um, more, moreover, I myself am convinced concerning you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with extensive knowledge, and able also to learn from the and instruct, learn from and instruct one another. Word admonishment there. Any other connections? All right. Picking up at 15, but I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God. With Paul being in this place of, of an apostle, that he is able to send correction to them based off of, and again, remember, they're not going to have the New Testament. They, they might have, depending on when Romans was written, might have had a few letters that Paul had written that were being circulated around. But as far as, remember, a Bible like what we have now? Nope, they would have had Torah scrolls. They would have had the Old Testament that they would have been referring to. And so there's things that he's going to be showing them that were revealed to him by the Lord. Things that they might not have perceived before because, again, the mysteries, the specific mysteries not previously revealed that were revealed to Paul, to 
to be able to show the others. So he's definitely in a place by the grace of God given to him to be able to make these corrections, to make these admonishment, to instruct. And so 16 really goes with this here, to be a minister, or another way that it is written in this other translation is priest of uh, Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Oh, here it is, ministering as a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering, or that, yeah, my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, set apart. For the gospel of God. Uh, good morning to all of you. Morning. Do you have something you wanted to share, Kizé? Nah, I just pulled up and I saw that you guys had all assembled here. Yeah, we're doing was... a Romans Bible study right now, brother. Ah, I see. Which chapter? We're in chapter 15 and we're at uh, verses 15 and 16 right now. Uh, all right, thank you. Yep. I'll admit it's been a while since I've joined you guys. I've uh, been quite preoccupied with um, other things, but it's not as I haven't kept God as the forefront. Yeah, I mean, he's literally the first person I talk to when I wake up. That's good. Yeah, we're kind of in an official event right now, brother. Good to hear oh, from right, you. Right, right, sorry. Yeah. Good, I'm glad you're doing well. It's okay. If you do have something to share towards the the study, we're actually recording this right now too, so we'll go back and listen to it later. Oops. Uh, one moment. Let me just open up. I normally have the amplified version of the Bible, meaning that there are some explanations towards certain things. I suppose it helps in clearing things up sometimes. You, you feel me? Yeah. You said that you were in um, Romans chapter 15. Yep. And, uh, verses 15 and 16 right now. Still some still on some points I've written to you very boldly and without reservation to remind you about them again, because of the grace that was given to me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, I minister as a priest of the gospel of God, in order that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable to him, sanctified, made holy, and set apart for his purpose by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's a little bit more information at the end of verse 16 there. Yeah, because I also noticed that um, when Paul speaks to the Gentiles who are in Rome, especially in regards to um, chapters 11, he does mention, I do recall him mentioning the fact that uh, Rome, the, the Gentiles being added into the body of Christ and into uh, the kingdom, God, it's like God grafting uh, branches from 
one tree onto a cultivated olive olive tree. And I know a thing or two about uh, grafting and budding and so on and so forth. And that is quite a delicate process because when you do that, it means that you have to ensure that that new piece or that new branch that's been added in is given time to merge and mix into the main tree that's been grafted into. If you give it too little time, it'll fall off. If you give it too much time or expose it to the wrong things too soon, it'll get damaged. And even if it starts to grow, uh, it the damage will still remain and it may not produce as much fruit or yield its produce as much as it's supposed with an out-of-the-box question. The Daily Wire reports, as many others in the White House, can. do see asks uh, about Joe Biden. Hot mic, Ken. His approach was very different. Ducey asked, quote. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, did you catch what I was saying? Yeah, we're, we're following you. Right, because at the same time, since Paul is, in this case, the one who the Lord uses to graft the wild branches onto the cultivated olive tree, he... The letter here and with what it says in verses 15 and 16, I suppose it's to remind them of that, so that they remain sealed and protected while they're still new and freshly grafted in. Because it serves as a full, because his words can serve as a filming. Obviously, they're from the Lord, but... Um, <clears throat> They serve as a filming and as a protection for the branches that have been grafted in. So that once they have grown enough that they no longer really need it, but they start to get their own nourishment from the main tree, then they can start to produce on their own. I hope that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, you. Uh, that's right. You work in agriculture, and that's what you're studying as well. The insights are appreciated. Yep. In Christ Jesus, then, I have found legitimate reason for boasting in things related to my service to God. I'll not even presume to speak of anything except what Christ has done through me as an instrument in His hands. And. Sorry, the next two verses, verses 17 and 18. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. I want to give other people an opportunity if they want to make comments about what we were just reading. Ah, all right. Let me remain silent then. Anybody else have some insights on 15 and 16 that they want to share? Right. All right. So 
Continuing on then, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. One of the rare occasions where you will see Paul use talking about boasting usually is not boasting or urging us not to boast, but there are some times where he's saying, if I boast, I'm going to boast in the things of the Lord, not in my own. So this is one of those cases where he says, boasting in things pertaining to God, so God is getting the glory. It's nothing from himself. Because just previously, he was talking about the grace that was given him, in particular, to be an apostle chosen by the Lord to be a sent one to go out where he was previously persecuting people who were believers in, in Yeshua and being given the revelation by the Holy Spirit <laughs> to the point of a blinding light. Stop him in his tracks, humble him, because God had a tremendous plan for him. So he's now able to work mightily and boast in the things of the Lord and the direction of the Lord, the leading of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Any other? One can only ima- Sorry. Yep. I was gonna. So I, I was gonna say one can only imagine um, the surprise looks or the expressions on the people of the church when they discovered that uh, Saul of Tarsus ended up becoming one of their own and uh, (laughs) assisting in spreading the kingdom of God that Christ set on earth. Christ builds on earth. Hello? Yep. Where are your keys at? Huh. It's been a while since I've heard someone uh, pronounce my surname in, a, in an appropriate manner who is not of my own nationality <laughs> or race. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's refreshing. You're welcome. Mako, go ahead. You got your hand up. Brother, go ahead and share. I see one. <laughs> Um, I I just wanna I just wanna um I just wanna share. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm losing my English again. I just want I just wanna share. It really, um, hits me with regards to this verse, fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. Um, on verses fifteen, sixteen, I love he points out that. He is just a recipient of grace, and that's why he can minister. He can be a minister of Christ. It says here because God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Because he is that time <clears throat> is because God 
I mean, he is acknowledging the grace God gave him. And he concludes it with, uh, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I feel like I am reading the same words John the, John the Baptist said on, I believe it's John 4, where he says that it's, it's no longer I, but it's him. Um, I, uh, it's like, it's as if I'm behind the curtain that's good any other thoughts on that Good to hear you, Mako. It's been a while. Long while. Mako? Yeah. Kize, can you go ahead and mute, buddy, while other people are going to be talking and stuff? There's some background noise that comes through at times. Thank you. So verse 18, <laughs> I think we'll probably stop at 21 to 8. He's going to go in. This is uh, the portion I was thinking of as far as Rome. Uh, I think there's something, there's some other information that I want to gather up for that. That's very curious um, and interesting about it. So verse 18, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So he qualifies verse 17 here, boasting of things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything, anything pertaining to himself can be read into that, except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's not me, it's I'm the vessel, and it's more important the work that he has done through my vessel. He gets the glory for that. Paul is saying it's definitely the idea of what um, the mindset that we should have. This isn't something unique to Paul, but Paul did a very good job in modeling um, this, the bondservant, something that he calls himself bondservant of Christ, modeling and saying that I am an ambassador servant in his kingdom, and that the good works that we're needing to do is actually allowing Christ to do his good works through us as a, a yielded vessel in partnership with them. He doesn't use us as some disposable tool. He values us. He gives the imagery of being yoked together and wanting to do work together. And he illustrates this time and time again throughout Scripture, where there's this partnership in the miracles. That God says, I'm going to do this, and then the human asks the human to respond, or he'll ask the human to step out in faith, and that God says he will respond. And so there's this beautiful relational partnership that he's wanting in the work. He needs a willing vessel for it, and he wants it in relationship with him so that he can work as his body. That's the importance of how he says, uh, likens us to the body that we need one another, that he directs, he leads us. But 
willing willing vessels crazy did you have your hand up and want to speak crazy for christ okay no other thoughts on this might like to share something yeah go ahead um to first talking about the, the things that christ has accomplished through paul and it brought to mind uh, an experience i had recently at a uh, church breakfast there was a brother at the table that i was seated at and he was sharing some stories about his um himself and and one in particular he made comment about a son of his referring to a son with a rather harsh judgment and then saying that there's no other way to put it other than to call him by that judgment and uh i found myself quite disturbed by it but it's usually something quite outside my wheelhouse to um to translate or empathize with so i was just praying with you know, silently in my head not sure what else to say and then the next thing i know is i even to my own surprise coming out of my mouth was a, a reframe of what he said uh connecting um his perception of his son to the emotion of feeling disappointed and so i offered that to him like are you just disappointed in him and this man seemed to kind of sink back into his chair and relax and not in agreement. It was quite something to watch, especially knowing that it didn't come from my own strength. Yeah. That's amazing how he works that way. That's something that's come up in conversation a few times about how in our weakness in that area we would really see ourselves to be insufficient and weak and he's like that is perfect i like that because i can then manifest my strength and there will be no like you with yourself it's like that that's not me <laughs> where did that come from uh, that wasn't me and lord's like no that was me and because you're well aware that you're you're weak in that area it's where my strength can really shine forth it's Similar to like Gideon, like Moses. I'm. I, well, you want me to speak on your behalf? Can you not hear the speech problem that I have? How about my brother? And God's like, no, you're the perfect person for it because you will know because of your weakness in that area that it's going to be my power that's going to be filling in the gaps of where you're weak. In my in in your weakness, my strength will be made perfect. So that's that's one of those areas. Don't be surprised in your relationship with God if something that you see yourself very weak in, an area that's a struggle for your life that you don't have strength in, that he's like, that's the area that I actually am going to have you work in. That's the area that I'm going to have you move in because it's going to be my strength that is going to fill in for there. And no boasting. So it's like the idea of Gideon where he has him pare down the army to, was it 300? 
like, nah, you're a perfect size army. Yeah, go fight the, what is it, 35,000, 15,000, the huge number where it's like, you want this 300 to fight that many? He's like, exactly, because the people of the land will know that it was me who did it and not Gideon. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Crazy for Christ. One of the thoughts I had about Paul talking about only boasting in Christ is when we when we look at our lives and the little things that we do in comparison, what purpose do we have at all to boast in ourselves? You know, because like humanity, we're the ones who brought sin into the world. We're the ones who essentially put Christ on the cross. And, you know, everything that everything good that comes out of what we do comes from him because he ultimately established the, the church. He brought us all to salvation if you're saved. And honestly, after um, living for the world for like most of my life, and now I'm looking back on it. It's it's really anything that we accomplish on our own is really not worth bragging about because anything done for the world is all vanity, like what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. So that's also that's just another thought I had. Nice, yeah. Remember though, he knew everything that was going to happen. Nothing is a surprise to him. This was his plan from the get go. And the things that seemed bad that happened, he allotted them. He he allowed them to happen because it was part of his plan to be the rescuer, to be the, the ultimate. Or nobody else would be able to do it. He alone would be able to do it. God himself saying, I'm going to do it. And I would say a big part of that is because of need, there needing to be a choice of in opposition to one another for love to truly be love. Otherwise, we were just robots. There had to be a choice of, are you going to love God or are you not? Uh, so the, so the, hmm? I didn't mean to interrupt. So that's why he is allowing this for go for so long, which is like you would say, this is nothing but a vapor time. Mm-hmm. So he's allowing this so that way his children is going to be raised up. Unfortunately, one is going to be lost. And then you got the ones that's been saved. But it only takes faith and believe who he is, which he says mm-hmm. he is. And that's pretty much about it. Now he just wants you to let, I think that's why he said, uh, I think what, I can't remember. That's why I need to study more. Is that he tells the disciples, uh, pretty much to rely on him. Right. No, okay. then, that makes a lot of sense. Another important aspect, because of Torah law, Torah law forbid forbids the using another human life as a sacrifice, but it does not forbid somebody laying down their own life. That's why Jesus made it a a point to say, nobody is taking my life from me. I am willingly giving it up. Everybody who was part of it was an instrument, was the, you know, I'm going to allow this, even to the point where, remember, the Pharisees that were trying to kill him were trying to delay it till after the feast days of that time because of the mass amount of people need. They didn't want the ire of the people. They didn't want to cause a riot. But Jesus was like, no, I have an appointed day and time that I have designated that I will die and it's going to happen. That's right, because when that was happening, it's just like in the Old Testament when they, uh, uh, when they first when God commanded Moses for the sacrifice. 
Mm-hmm. But that's why he needed to do it at that time because it has to align perfectly for that, which makes a lot of sense. Yep. That's very yep. smart. Boy, the father's a lot smarter than people give him credit, ain't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing's, you know, nothing's a surprise to him. It was all part of the plan. And yeah. Man is allowed his free will in it, but he sees the choices that he's going to make. The other important thing, I mean, the details. Psalms 113 to 118 are called the, the Hallel, the, the praise, songs of praise. When you read those, uh, they're beautiful, but those are the things that would have been sang during the time of Jesus being crucified. His own funeral songs, if you will, because those were sang during the time of the slaughtering of the lambs, the Passover lamb, uh, and praising God. And there's some prophetic stuff even within those. So it's like God inspired David to write these songs, these psalms that at a future time would be being sung at his own funeral, at his own death. (laughs) The level of detail that God provided in this whole entire plan is just absolutely amazing. So again, nobody took his life from him. He laid it down willingly. And it it was important that it was, I am willingly doing this. Nobody's forcing me to do it. Uh, Because that would violate Torah. And he has to uphold it. That was the whole point of him upholding his own word, his own instruction to the level of perfection that it's required by himself. It's like, I'll do it myself. Always the intention. Mm. Amen. Yep. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. With how you put it there. Thank you for that insight. Uh, I'm not too sure how much longer I can stay because I have animals to look after. Alright, yeah, it's pretty early for you. Yep. Yes. Ten past five in the morning. Oh boy. Alright, let's continue on in verse 19 here. In the power, so uh, going back to 18 again. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by the word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders. And remember, signs and wonders in particular were mainly for the Jews, but nevertheless, they served a purpose also amongst the Gentiles of that time too. Um, Beyond that also, with the signs and wonders during the time of Paul's ministry, that would happen, I mean, (laughs) the 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 joking way I put it, the one kid he put to sleep with one of his long sermons fell out of a window, died, and Paul ended up uh, being directed to go down and raise the kid from the dead. Directed by the Lord to do that, to be a yet another witness and a sign to the people around. I'm sure there were Jews, perhaps, that were unbelieving in that too, because there would be a, a mixed, mixed group there. So, uh, in the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that for Jerusalem and all around, as far as Elicrium, I think is how it said, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Not partially, but fully preached the gospel of Christ. Not only he preached it in word, but Paul preached it in action as well. He walked the talk. There was very little incongruency. Obviously, Paul was not perfect. 
but his life absolutely reflected the gospel message. I mean, his um, his conversion in and of itself is a huge testimony. Oh yeah, man. That's if it's it shows how dedicated he was to Christ. I mean, nothing but pure love. I'm very confident he made a lot of sacrifices just so that the message will continue. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Renee, we are in Romans 15, verse 19. Anybody have thoughts on that one? And the power and signs and wonders. The Lord confirms to the commentary here. The Lord confirmed the apostles' message by miracles that taught spiritual lessons that inspired amazement and by various manifestation of the Spirit's power. The result was that he had fully preached the gospel beginning at Jerusalem and extending in a circle to Lycrium, north of Macedonia on the Adriatic Sea is where that was at. Now from Jerusalem to Illyricum describes the geographical extent of his ministry and not the chronological order. We're going to see, like I said, we'll cover it next week. Um, I'll have to do the research on where it was, but in the future here where he's talking about wanting to go over to Spain, and it has connection to the Old Testament and a listing of the cities in particular, that he was able to hit every one of the cities that were prophesied about or mentioned in Scripture previously, with the exception of this one area that would have been in Spain. That and if he would have so, been able to get there, he would have hit them all. So interesting enough that talking about powers and signs and wonders, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, fulfillment of prophecy. When you look back at the two people that he was a greater of, of Elijah and Moses, they too went up to the mountaintop. They too had signs and wonders, but yet they still fell short being man, Jesus being that pinnacle. And then again, prior to his coming, we see one more echo of that in the future when the two witnesses come and they pour out signs and wonders as the Spirit pours out in the end day. And we, and we see that every single time when wickedness abounds and, and hearts grow cold, that God's Spirit pours out in order that they turn back to him, turn to God. Turn your hearts to God, no matter where you're at. If you're in Christ, turn to God. If you're not, turn to God. Everybody just focus and keep your eyes on God. Any other thoughts? Keep moving on here. If not. Amen. That's my thought. <laughs> So verse 20, and in this way, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already known by name, so that I would not build on another person's foundation. This one. Oh, man. My, my brain. This has a connection also, something Paul similarly said.
Also, well, it also has connection to Isaiah 28. There we go, 1 Corinthians 3. One core three. In particular, see, uh, starting verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. So we already heard him saying something similar a couple of verses up in Romans 15 here. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he build, builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. And so in, in Romans 15, 20 here, and in this way I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already known by name, where they hadn't heard the name of Yeshua yet. Or if they have, it's been very little. So that I would not build on another person's foundation. But here in Corinthians... Um, he's okay with like a wise master building. I laid a foundation and another is building on it. And so Paul was wanting to be the one that lays that foundation, understanding that it would be built upon. And that foundation is Christ, him crucified later on in, was it First Corinthians 15, 1 through 4? A lot of people use that for the, the gospel message. So any other thoughts or connections that you guys are making here? I say let's see what Isaiah twenty six eighteen. That was in that twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says: Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. The one who believes it will not be disturbed. And Paul also used this earlier in Romans. Pointed to this scripture back in, I think it was chapter 11. He said this. We will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Yeah, Paula. That's good. Yep. Isaiah 11.10 was referenced earlier as well, too. Does he want to make sure foundation is laid pure and clear? That's why he does not want to work other foundation as others may not be true. Is this foundation a knowledge foundation? So yeah. So I mean his calling 
in line with the the commission to go amongst or go to all the nations uh, and preach the gospel. And so obviously they're going to go to the closer nations and and for them um, in that time, the Roman Empire would have been uh, akin to saying like all the world, oftentimes in their thinking versus what we know of today as all the world. It can definitely make uh, I would not be disturbed in the look at that. It, so they would go out to the the dispersion of the Jews within the the empire of Rome. And that's like I was saying earlier, why he one of the first places that he would go into a new city that he would um, be sent to is to the synagogue first, and that he obviously within the synagogue is going to be Jewish um, Torah-believing Jews. And if he can get the rabbis there to accept Yeshua, then it would become his base of operations for teaching. It would be a place of great resource to have access to Torah scrolls to be able to teach from, because he would have been utilizing Torah scrolls to uh, point to things to as his basis. When the Bereans are testing him, they're going to the Torah scrolls or what we would know as the Old Testament. And to see if Paul was on the up and up. So he'd be able to point to these things. That would have been his base of reference for everything that he was teaching. It wasn't that he was just coming up with completely new stuff. It all had a basis within the Old Testament that he was referring to, so... They would test him in that. They would look for the witnesses to, by the mouth of two or three witnesses. A matter is established. So, and Paul uses that himself. He uses that in Corinthians, where he cites that. So, Bereans would have been looking for those witnesses within the Old Test, what we know as the Old Testament, to see if Paul was true. It's hard for us to do that this day. How many of us could go and point to Jesus? in the Old Testament, if we if we had no New Testament to refer to, how easy would it be for us to go and and show the it'd truth been, of Jesus? Yeah, that'd been very hard. The only thing I think only part would have been very close, but I do remember in the Old Testament was, uh, was it Moses or Abraham? And God told him to use his own son as a sacrifice until the tail end he turned and he sent the angels and said, no, don't do that. And it was then, Abraham. Yeah, Abraham. Mm -hmm. I mean, that right there, um, pointing to Abraham, is the picture of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eliezer, the uh, head servant of Abraham's household, who is yeah. the servant that was sent out to find a bride for the son. Exactly, yeah. A Gentile bride no less oh that's right yeah obviously abraham wasn't jewish by what we know he's the father of the nation uh, yeah rebecca is gentile as well so the imagery there there's one example of the types moses himself is a type so yeah it'd be hard pressed to go to the old testament to be able to show and that's the thing if you have a heart mm -hmm. to preach to the orthodox jewish people 
you, it's not that you can't use the New Testament, but you're really going to need to know Old Testament people to reason scriptures with them, to meet them on their level, to show them within the, the things that they accept as scripture, to show them Jesus. But also, don't underestimate the power of what we know as the New Testament, too. He said his word will not return void. Whether they believe it at that time or not doesn't make it any less valid. But the primary way that we're, we'd want to do it is through the Old Testament. So you even have them uh, give any sort of ear to what you had to say. That Paul never knew, so... Um, Jews in Israel had a faulty declaration of Jesus. Uh, actually, is it true that Paul never knew that he was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies? Is it that in hindsight they got sought? They just saw it was, thought it was all prophecy revealed. I, no, no. I, I mean, I don't think there was anything specific that pointed to Paul directly, but Paul would have been utilizing the Old Testament as, and, and he makes reference. I mean, just in this chapter here, you have like five verses in a row where he's just making reference, Old Testament reference after Old Testament reference. after. So he was well-versed in those. And remember, as a rabbi, and part of their training growing up is to memorize word for word the first five books of the Bible. That was part of the strenuous training that they went through, starting at age five. Because it was not easy to have access to a Torah scroll. Or um, the Torah scrolls. Those were costly, expensive, heavy, bulky. You've never seen a Torah scroll in real life. <laughs> it's not something that you can easily carry around. And, and a Torah scroll? Uh, in particular, a Torah scroll will contain the first five books, but then there's the individual prophet books uh, or scrolls. So if you wanted the entirety of the Old Testament, it would be, I think, about five or six large scrolls that you would have to carry around if might be five, I can't remember now, for the entireties. And they're huge, and they're heavy. <laughs> can't just bust out your phone and <laughs> there they are. So it was something that they definitely had to be able to reference from memory, in particular the first five books. And they would have a lot. They would have a lot of the prophets and stuff memorized as well. So, and remember that Paul talks about how he spent 14 years being taught by Jesus out in the deserts of Arabia. And he was having, in through the Old Testament, Jesus was revealing to him the information that would become the New Testament, the basis of the New Testament. Because Paul wrote, what, 17 of the 27 books? New Testament, 26? He wrote a lot of them. Verse 21. Uh, but just as it is written, they who have not been told about him will see, and they who have not heard will understand. I think that's the scriptural reference that Isaiah 52, 15. 
think somebody posted that one already. Let me see. Yeah, Paula. Thank you. Foundational, the commentary here, the foundational work among the Gentiles was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the Gentiles who had never previously been evangelized would see or come to know and understand um, and that those who had never previously heard the good news would understand and respond in true faith. Well, got through quite a bit. Any other passing thoughts, final thoughts? Well, let me close this out in prayer. I'll kick the bot out of here and keep talking if you're feeling like it. Keep discussing it. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you from the get-go that your plan was to always bring in as many of the people as possible, that you chose a unique people unto yourself to reveal yourself to, to, re to reveal your son to, and for that nation to take Jesus to the nations, for that unique people. Lord, thank you that you yourself accomplished that, that you as the epitome of what Israel was intended to be, the perfect rabbi, the perfect shepherd, perfect son, the perfect Israelite who was without sin. And so you were able, because of all your titles, all the roles that you fulfilled, were able to receive yourself as a Jew, as an Israelite, receive yourself to have your disciples and for that remnant to take you to the nations. Lord, you know how some people can want to see and said Israel failed and that you had to, to switch plans. But no, it, it happened, Lord. Just not on a whole, but on a remnant. And a remnant matters to you. And that remnant you use powerfully. Those, those few men that you appointed to take you so that it would be evident and it would be proof, again, that your strength is made perfect. And that small amount of number... And they succeeded. They brought you to the nations. And your, your fame, your renown, your good name has spread. And Lord, we want to continue to see you as who you are. As your beauty, your graciousness, your mercy, your love, your humility. We want to get to know you. We want that to infuse us. We want that to ignite us. And Lord, we want to continue to spread your good name, your fame throughout all the world to those who still don't know you. And for those who do know you that aren't close, that we would encourage them to grow in strength knowing who you are, that you would be able to transform their life and make them more, uh, more and more as image bearers of you so that your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want, to, we want as many people to come into relationship of faith as you. So thank you, Lord, for the genius of your plan. Before you even started creation, you had already laid out how this was all going to go. Nothing is a surprise and shock to you whatsoever. 
We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, that we can completely stand on it and that we can grow in understanding of it so that we can grow in understanding of you, your ways, your heart, and who you are. Thank you for this time, for revealing your word to us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We honor you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.